23-year-old Parveen worked as a live-in maid in a wealthy Muslim home. As a Christian, Parveen loved to spend Sundays, her day off, at church and with her family. But one day, she faced a difficult choice. Her employer, Fatima, wanted Parveen to stay and work on Sunday. Parveen explained, Sunday is our family's special day. We go to church, but Fatima, along with her husband and two daughters, and later the sons, beat Parveen. They tortured her for hours, and then they left her there locked up for two days with only a bit of food and no water until her parents came with some other Christians and they, they let her go. During that time, over the course of those two days, they offered her 100,000 rupees to recant her faith. I don't know how much that is to our dollars, but it was a substantial amount that could have benefited her family. But she said, I won't accept Islam. And then they threatened after that to beat her, and she, they said they would blame her for stealing their money and for blaspheming Muhammad, so they were going to slander her. Uh, but still, Parveen refused to change her mind. She loved Jesus, and she loved to worship Him together with other believers. She said that, I love Him, and I love to worship Him. She was faced that day with a very clear choice, wasn't she? To dishonor Jesus and not go to church, to keep quiet about her faith, to compromise just a little bit, right? It's only one Sunday. Or to suffer in Jesus' name, as she did. You and I face different challenges here in Canada, but the same temptation at different points in our lives. To one, in one way or another, to deny Jesus, to abandon Him and the church that He loves and died for. You know, as we unpack the final verse of our short series, we've been walking through each month, walking through Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. We looked at verse 23 in September and 24 in October, and now November we're looking at verse 25. And each week uh, that we've done this, we've been looking just at a snapshot here in a letter that was written to the Christian, to encourage the Christian not to give up Christ, not to forsake Him, but to see Him as better and greater and more valuable than anyone else. The one worthy of our worship. The one who can save us is Jesus Christ. And... There's a simple thought here in verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. It's that we're not to give up or to abandon meeting together to encourage one another. And we'll see as we work through this that this is 
one of the chief means that God uses to strengthen our faith in Jesus when we gather together so that we can be encouraged, so that we can walk through our life not abandoning Jesus Christ. But I want to pause here, and I think it's important for us to zoom out for a moment to think about the context of the letter to the Hebrews. So we're just looking at one verse today. We want to understand it in the context it was given so that we don't uh, impose our ideas onto the scripture that we see what God is saying to, to the believers there and then and to us today. We know that this was a letter that was written to the scattered Hebrew Christians They were scattered by many persecutions and faced many pressures to abandon Jesus Christ, right? They gave up their old way. They gave up, they had to give up uh, the sacrifices and the uh, going to the temple and synagogues and, and they stood out for their faith in Christ. And so the author mentions in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. I'd invite you to turn there. We'll be in chapter 10 for this morning. Chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 32. He says, he talks about the former days. The former days when you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. They had faced troubles and persecution for Standing for Jesus, he goes on to say they had faced public reproach and affliction. And he talks about how they had cared for the imprisoned. They, they had been partners with those who were suffering as well. And how, verse 34, they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. He's very wants them to hear that word joyfully. They had accepted this this wrong that was done against them because they knew they had a better and lasting hope in Christ. Possession and inheritance that wouldn't fade away, couldn't be taken away from them. And that inheritance was in Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews goes on to say in verse 35 of chapter 10, Therefore, after all this, after all that they've been through and suffering for Jesus and standing for him, he says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Not now. Don't give up yet. Chapter 10 is just one snapshot here. But the whole of the letter to the Hebrews up to this point has been about encouraging these hard-pressed believers to keep holding on to Christ even when faced with great suffering. That's why the letter emphasizes again and again that Jesus is better. He's the greater priest who entered the greater tabernacle of the heavens to offer a greater sacrifice, his own lifeblood to give his people a better inheritance. Not only does 
Hebrews show us how much better Jesus is. But the letter also has warnings scattered throughout. Like in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. That warn us that rejecting Jesus, to abandon Jesus as, this is the way Wes McAdams put it, to abandon Jesus would be the worst mistake anyone could ever make. And so you have uh, scriptures from the Old Testament quoted like, Today, while you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Listen to him today. Don't give up Jesus. And so on the one hand, throughout Hebrews, we are wooed by Christ's glory. We're shown how great he is. And on the other hand, we are throughout, we're warned about rejecting Christ who is so wonderful. And so good. It's in that context that we have the verses that we've been looking at over the past couple of months. Verse 22, that we're to draw near to God with the full assurance of faith, knowing how great He is and how terrible of a thing it is to reject Him. We can Draw near to God with assurance, with faith. Then verse 23, we're called to hold fast to the confession of our hope. To not let go of what we've already confessed about Jesus to what we've been taught and know about how good He is. And thirdly, to consider how to stir up love and good deeds. So we have here faith, hope, and love. And all these things we can hold on to because Christ is great indeed. Because He's faithful. It's here that we then have verse 25, which I'll now read. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, it's important to remember as Randy reminded us earlier in the service that these words are the second half of a sentence that begins in verse 24. Verse 24 was that command to be thinking about and promoting love and good deeds, right? In the body of Christ, this is important because we need each other because it's it's befitting of God's people who have been so loved by Christ to love others and to do good. Now this is followed up in our verse, verse 25, with a phrase that qualifies the chief manner or the way in which God has given for us to grow in love and good deeds. This is how the author of Hebrews wants us to begin to understand the way that we're to grow in love. 
the way that we're to grow to really to be like Christ, our Lord and our Master. And so uh, verse 25 can, can be divided simply into two parts that I'm going to address in turn. The way that we're to promote love and good deeds is, first of all, by not giving up meeting together. And secondly, by encouraging each other. And we can't separate those two things. It's very important. Let's look at the first one. We're to promote love and good deeds by not giving up meeting together. You know, the word translated here, giving up in the NIV, means to forsake or to abandon. This is the word that's used to describe uh, Demas' desertion of Paul. Later on in, in Paul's life, he experiences many people deserting him, including Demas is mentioned by name. So that's that word. This word is also used in later in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, verse five, where we are told the Lord will not leave or forsake his own. God isn't going to abandon his people. Now, that is an encouraging reminder that we need when we're facing hardship and troubles and trials. But the idea that's expressed here in Hebrews 10.25 is that we're not to abandon or turn our backs on gathering or the older term there, the assembling together, gathering together with the people of God. This is because the manner or the means God gave us for growing in love and good deeds is found in community. It is found in fellowship with one another. We look at the book of Acts. From the beginning of the church, they gathered together. Most often in homes, but also at times in larger auditoriums and other gathering places, they got together. We see the people of God assembled together in Jesus' name. They weren't merely gathering for a social event or or in in the name of the the community they lived in, the city they lived in. They gathered in Jesus' name. And they preached the cross and the resurrection wherever they went. That was was and is the habit of the church throughout history, gathering together in Jesus' name and proclaiming Jesus to everyone that we come in contact with. But we know from the phrase here in verse 25, as some are in the habit of doing. And we know from biblical examples of men like Demas who abandoned the faith that some professing Christians had already made it their manner of life or their habit to abandon or forsake or desert the church. Specific individuals 
were no longer attending the gatherings of the believers. And this was common enough that the writer to the Hebrews, uh, writing to these scattered believers, expected them to understand that, to, to, to know people that had done that very thing. And the context later in Hebrews chapter 10 implies that the reason, at least the main reason why they no longer gathered together was out of fear of further persecution. I believe that's very clearly why the writer to the Hebrews, he reminds them of the persecution they've already faced as a group and as individuals to, to encourage them to keep on to not be like those who, in fear, turn back and, and uh, chose no longer to associate with God's people. So, because of this, those that are still attending, those that are still keeping going, were encouraged not to make the same habit, not to abandon one another, but to draw closer together in Christ, encouraging one another. So we're told in the second half of the verse, but encouraging one another, but encouraging one another. So Paul, or whoever is the writer to the Hebrews, um, is contrasting, he's saying there's, there's those that are forsaking and then there's encouraging. So it's not merely church attendance that's in view here. That's not the goal. The goal isn't uh, pews uh, filled up, but it's that God's people remain faithful to Christ. And that involves encouragement. To encourage is to speak words that are edifying and timely. Comfort, wisdom, warning, all fit the bill depending on the situation. I appreciate how Paul lays things out in his letter to the first, uh, first letter to the Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verse 14, he offers this guidance. He says, admonish the idle, or the unruly. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all. And so, he's teaching us to, to understand one another and to apply the Word of God to give words of encouragement that are fitting to that person and that situation. And that's all a part of this idea of encouraging. But here's the thing. Iron doesn't sharpen itself while it sits idle on the shelf. 
And neither do Christians sharpen themselves on their own either. That's why the Proverbs says iron sharpens iron, right? We have this contact that involves communication, that involves being present, that involves knowing people. So if we're thinking to ourselves, well, I can just, uh, I can go to church and I can consume the word of God. I can accept it. I say, that's what I believe. I agree with that doctrinal statement. I, I agree with this and, and I'm, I'm here at church. But if we think we can do that without any display of the love of Christ, we're badly mistaken. That's not the way of Christ. That's not evidence of the spirit-filled life, the, the one who has been born again and knows the love of God. We're to encourage each other so that we would stand firm in our faith. We're not to be like the family that lives in the same house and shares the same space, but doesn't love one another from the heart. And sadly, that can be the case in a lot of homes, in a lot of churches. When we miss the phrase, but encouraging one another. And uh, we all can understand and relate to how good that is when we have been encouraged. How it helps us to keep on, to trust God in a difficult situation, to know that we have a brother and a sister who cares for us. There's one more phrase in Hebrews 10.25. The verse concludes, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And all the more as you see the day approaching. There's an expectation here of of increasing, of growing up into this this encouragement and and to uh, growing in faith and in love and in hope. What day are we talking about? Talking about the day of the Lord. When He'll return and judge the world and rule in righteousness over a renewed creation shared by all whose faith is in Jesus Christ who was slain and who rose from the dead. That's that better inheritance that we can look forward to. And so we as Christians wait and we work and we hope for that day. And we can live knowing that every day is one day closer to that great day. And so we take every moment we have of Christian fellowship seriously. Because we are are looking at Preparing one another for that great day. And looking forward to it together.
we draw near, we hold fast, we promote love and, and good deeds because we know the supremacy, the value, and the glory of Christ who is coming soon for His bride. We want to be ready. We want to be not caught sleeping, but excited and prepared for Him because we love Him. When we know Christ, when we know His church, we don't separate those two things. The one who loves the bridegroom will not abandon his bride. Yet sadly, Abandoning the people of God is often one of those first signs of someone abandoning Christ Jesus as their Lord. I speak in all seriousness because we tend to make light of these sorts of things. It won't be that ma uh, bad, says the man as he falls off a cliff, right? <laughs> what? We can't downplay the importance of gathering as believers and encouraging one another. It helps. I was reminded a quote I read somewhere that there is no unchurched Christian. And as you read the New Testament, you, you, you recognize that. Now, yes, there are times when as a, a believer's alone, they're in prison or they're, they're traveling, or whatever the situation is, but they belong to Christ. They're still His bride. And so every person joined to Christ is joined to His church. And no one can love God and not love His church, not love His people. Do you believe that? That no one can love God and not love His church? If you don't believe that, maybe read 1 John. That's a good book. It's fairly short. Five chapters. Again and again, we're told the one who hates his brother doesn't know the love of God. The one who loves his brother knows God. The one who knows God loves the church. I'm not saying that the church is what saves us or that it's about a building or about coming and sitting in a pew. You need to remember that. That kind of an attitude is a false gospel. It's a false sense of security. Saying that, that uh, because I am a part of this church or this congregation or something like that, that that is what 
saves us. That's what makes me secure. None of that will provide the forgiveness of sins. It's Jesus Christ who is Lord of His church who saves and who makes us a part of His people. A people who love His own like He does. But I am saying the right priority is love. Love for God and for His people. And there is no loving, uh, no truly loving from afar. Love involves tangible sacrifice or it's just empty words. That's why we're to gather together and encourage one another. It's so that we would love Christ and care for one another, body and soul. I appreciate what Philip Hughes said in his commentary. He said, he who does not love his fellow Christians fervently from the heart. That's a phrase from 1 Peter 1.22. He who does not love his fellow Christians fervently from the heart feels no compelled need to associate with them. And I think in our culture, there are a lot of people who would rather say they have Jesus, but they don't feel any need to associate with the people of God. There's a form of godliness and of spirituality, but it's not, uh, it's lacking the power of God, power of the Spirit. Because where the Spirit is, there is love and unity and peace, and joy, gentleness. If we want to love, we should gather together as often as we can with the goal of encouraging our brothers and sisters. In terms of applying this scripture, that's what I would say to you. Very simple, very simple. Gather together as often as you can with the goal of encouraging your brothers and sisters. Now, some in their zeal make of this verse a sort of a rule that church should never be canceled for any kind of reason and Christians should never miss church for any reason. But there's a difference between the occasional Miss Sunday and abandoning Jesus and his church. I think we need to understand that. The context in which the writer to the Hebrews is speaking is a very serious Context. He's talking about people abandoning the faith and, and rejecting Jesus and rejecting his people. Just walking out. You might have a legitimate reason at times to miss gathering together on a given Sunday. Work 
health, traveling, bad weather. These are factors for us to consider as we apply this principle to don't just abandon meeting together. As we apply that principle, these are factors to consider at times in our lives. But in my experience, we're quicker to find excuses not to gather than we are to see our desperate need for Christian fellowship. I hope that you see that, how vital and how important it is. Take into consideration wisdom principles for gathering together. Jesus said the Sabbath was not made for man, or man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. So there is that principle that applies when we, even when we gather together. But there are many more wrong reasons not to gather together than right ones. Okay? I just want to uh, suggest four to you now, briefly. Firstly, watch out for fear in your life and in your thinking. Fear of persecution or rejection has kept many from gathering with other believers or for encouraging one another for that matter. It's a lot easier sometimes to stay away from the mess, let people kind of live their own lives. But fear may keep us from gathering. This is what led the some that are not gathering together at the time of the writing of Hebrews to stop attending the Christian gatherings out of fear, persecution, lose my place at the synagogue. I might lose my job. I might lose my home and my possessions. I might get thrown in jail. This was the choice that Parveen faced. She could have kept quiet and missed church for one Sunday. But she didn't respond in fear. She responded in love for Christ and her desire to worship Him with fellow believers. Does fear ever keep you from associating with Jesus in public? Or from gathering together with Jesus' followers? The letter of Hebrews is a reminder Jesus is worth suffering for. He is. So we don't need to be afraid when we stand with Jesus. Remember Hebrews 13, 5. He will not abandon us. He will not forsake us. This is what Jesus was talking about when He said, don't fear those that kill the body. They can hold a knife at your throat. They have the sword. Fear the one who can kill or destroy both soul and body in hell. 
fear Him. It's far better to choose to serve Him and to have His blessing than to reject Him and face, face judgment for that choice. So watch out for fear. Remember that you need not fear with Jesus Christ. He's worth it. Secondly, watch out for pride. Pride is that individualistic spirituality that says, I don't need the church. It's just me and Jesus. Don't be so foolish you think that you need no one else. And I think we need to recognize that a person can look good and attend church, sit in the pew, can know a lot, and participate even, but think that they don't need other people's help. We can, we can live our lives that way. We need to remember that we're only one part of the body. We don't make up the whole church. We need one another to watch out for pride the pride that won't rely on other believers or that thinks that they don't need uh, to bother with church bother with getting together with other believers that kind of pride uh, is a symptom of the kind of pride that doesn't rely on God doesn't trust God with our lives and that is serious indeed, right? Pride goes before destruction. The haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs 16, 18 and 19. So watch out for fear. Watch out for pride. Watch out, thirdly, for selfishness. Selfishness is the sort of I'm talking about the sort of consumer spirituality that says, yeah, I'll come. I'll come. And they come to church, but are only there to get and not give. So what the Proverbs calls the leech. The leech has two daughters. Give and give, Proverbs 30, 15. Always taking. And we can be that way in our lives. But this is the wrong priority. It's the opposite of, of love. Self-centered spirituality wanders after whatever feels good. Not what God says is good and loving. But the one who knows God is able to, as Jesus said, take up your cross, follow me. And to show the kind of love that, that gathers together, that encourages one another. I want to mention a, a fourth thing to watch out for, and that is uh, laziness. Laziness is that convenient spirituality that says, I'll come and help when I feel like it. 
And there are times we don't feel like it. Laziness says I'll participate when it's comfortable. And I don't have to give too much. Just give a little. The question for us to consider is, am I willing to suffer or to be uncomfortable if it means serving Christ and loving his people? Am I willing to be uncomfortable for Jesus? And secondly, we could ask ourselves, what do my life choices say about my priorities? Or my thoughts and my attitude as I serve? What do they say about my priorities? Am I serving perhaps begrudgingly, not willingly. I've gone on for a while. I was, I just uh, close uh, with this. Uh, simply, simple words from a simple guy here. If you don't want to abandon Jesus, then let's not abandon each other. Let's not abandon His church. If you do want to display the love of Christ because you love Him, then don't stop meeting together. Be sure to take the time to encourage each other, even today, while we're gathered together. Whatever you do, don't abandon Jesus. Don't forsake His ways. The right priorities in our lives, if we want to love, and to love well, are gathering together and encouraging one another.